we're delighted to welcome back to the podcast Dr. Jamie Barker. Obviously, a lot of coverage going on about the negative side of bubbles in a sporting context on mental health and their emotional toil. Um, Jamie's actually written some advice recently for the sporting community on this, so we're delighted to talk to him about all things affecting these sporting bubbles around the world. Welcome back to the pod, Jamie. Yeah, great. Thanks to thanks for having me. Good to see you guys as uh, as always, and good to see that you've upgraded now from your uh, your humble uh, start. And, and now you've got a, almost like a studio, I guess, which looks really cool. So. Yeah, well, mate, we've gone from one one microphone and um, a huddled little table. We've uh, we've all decided not to buy any cricket bats or uh, new equipment. Um, and uh, yeah, rather than the, the latest Grey Nichols Excalibur, I've got a Audio Technica ATR two thousand one hundred instead. Um, so yeah, n- n- don't need to knock them in either, which is uh, which is always good. No, or, or oil them. You've changed. You've changed, Binksy, massively. I, I, you've I, changed. I, I have, mate. So look, um, we wanted to talk obviously about the mental side of the game, particularly. We've seen some comments from some pretty prominent players around the world. Joffre Archer, I think, mentioning the length of days he was going to be away in the various bubbles that he'd featured in. Um, So likely that he might miss the big bash league after the IPL just because he's been in that sort of environment. We've often talked about the amount of time the guys spend on the road. I know Joe Root spent, um, you know, over well over half, if not two thirds of the year, um, away from his from his own bed. Do you want to give us a little bit of a preamble in terms of the, the advice that you've provided to the sporting community on this, first and foremost, just to set a bit of context? Yeah, yeah. So this was a, <clears throat> this was a document that um, myself and, and colleagues from, I guess, around the, the UK, we, we were asked to put together by the British Psychological Society around guidance for, for athletes during COVID. And even though we're still sort of in flux, I guess, around that, a lot of the, the key points kind of still still remain. And we, and we just really focused in on three areas and three areas that we were evidence-based. I think that was the first thing. So these were three areas that, based on literature and so forth, we thought would be really useful for, for athletes and kind of like parents and coaches as well associated with them. And really kind of like the three areas were mental health and dealing with uncertainty, um, maintaining social connections and then third aspect of motivation and goal setting and what we we tried to do then of course is, is kind of provide guidance and advice on each of those three and I think what we tried to say in the first one around mental health and, and dealing with uncertainty is that you know it's, it's particularly when we were in lockdown you know that that well-being focus of, of individuals is, is massive and you know, not being able to do the things that you would normally do, um, you know, being um, essentially taken out of your normal routine, you know, can all have implications from how we feel and ultimately how we, we behave. So we were very mindful of, of getting people to increase their awareness of, you know, how they're feeling, but also as well, not to probably set too much expectation for themselves as well and try to be fairly fluid with that. Ironically, one of the suggestions we said is for people to have a bit of a routine, though, during lockdown or during COVID and kind of stick to that routine. So whether it's getting good quality sleep, going for a walk, engaging in training or whatever it is, try to be relatively consistent in what you do. And in dealing with uncertainty, we kind of just ask people not to try to forecast too much, not to try to predict 
the future because ultimately when you try to predict the future you know we can become quite stressed about it um we were quite lucky we, we did some work with the premier league team during project restart and a lot of our work in the early phases from about march through to june was really around working with players around dealing with the fact that they were at home having to train they couldn't do what they normally do maybe they weren't going to be as fit as they would like to be you know they were missing out with their mates and so forth and things like that so a lot of it was not performance related it was all around helping them to deal with themselves um the, the second bit of the advice is around maintaining social connections and you know as as probably as simplistic as it might be we encouraged and encouraged a lot of people just to reach out and maintain connections whether that be facetime skype whatever it is you know pick up the phone have a chat we, we know that when people are isolated the mental health problems you know arise you know that that problematic we know that people who are isolated are more likely to be depressed and so forth so we just encourage people just to maintain their social connections and indeed squads that i've been a part of you know we've just had zoom calls i think there was a lot i don't know if you guys had this as well but the amount of quizzes i was doing (laughs) during march and april was just crazy you know but actually the psychology behind it was really quite cool because it was just about getting people together it was just about maintaining those connections um, and also as well, that's an opportunity for people to kind of reflect as well on their connections and think, OK, you know, is there somebody I've not perhaps connected with for a while? But from a performance point of view, are there people, are there coaches that I maybe need to connect with a little bit more? So from a psychological point of view, you know, we were getting quite a lot of um, interest because people going, actually, psych, I've never really had the time to devote to it. I'm in lockdown. I've got a bit more time now. I actually want to explore my psychology i want to explore my coaching abilities you know so so lockdown provided people ironically with an opportunity to reevaluate reflect but also as well to think about the next steps and things that that they perhaps always wanted to do but maybe never had the time to do um you know premier league players a lot of them described how you know often they're knackered you know that like most athletes you know they go from one day to the next they very rarely get time off and so forth so they said actually it's quite nice to spend a bit of time at home with the family not traveling and just reevaluating what's important to them and, and and those types of things and i guess just quickly the third aspect of the advice was just thinking about you know what motivates us but also what are our goals and being very flexible with our goals um we spoke to a paralympic and olympic athletes for them you know tokyo was just taken away uh, and for some of them, they were equally going to retire because, you know, their, their time was up, the, the, the Olympics or Paras were going to be their last hurrah. And, and, but they can't push on for another year. They just don't have that. So we, we encourage people to be really flexible. We encourage people to perhaps think of goals that were more focused on intrinsic values, i.e. enjoyment, satisfaction rather than performance. And just encourage people to be very, very flexible with those goals, thinking that actually they may change very quickly. And when we were talking about some of those goals, they picked up on some of the points that I was thinking about, that I was talking about a moment ago, that actually some of those goals could be about developing skills that you perhaps haven't always had the time to do. So you might have an interest, you might want to work on your technique and, you know, being in lockdown is probably quite a good opportunity to think about technique, engage with, you know, external support services and so forth and, and maybe, you know, reevaluate what's important for you as a person and an athlete. So 
Sorry if I've rambled on there, but I was trying to do that quite quickly, I guess, just to, <laughs> to go through those three points. No, mate, that's really good to, to set that context. The, the first thing I'd, I'd like to pick up on is the look, I guess we've we framed this in a relatively negative way that, you know, a bubble is going to affect performance. Some of the things that you've said there seem to suggest potentially there could be enhancement to performance through that structure, that routine, and that, um, I, I guess, being in that situation. But too early to tell, perhaps, but is that a possibility or is that just maybe for some players and, and for others it will be more difficult? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, a, a lot of, you know, more generally, more you know people have struggled, you know, with, with, with lockdown because it's a restriction on freedom of movement and, and so forth. But I think for some where they're able to reframe it, it has provided, as I say, an opportunity to reflect, redefine, Reevaluate um, some of the players that you know we engage with. You know, they said I've never engaged with psych before, but it's really opened my mind around opportunities and you know just the the, the role you know around family life and um, you know what's important to me. What are my expectations? Um, what what do I want to get out of my career? You know, those types of things. Those kind of fairly philosophical conversations, but I think. You know, we've certainly had a lot of those and I don't think it's necessarily been our intention. They've just kind of come out of the chats that we've had. Ultimately, when we when we were working and have been working with people, it has been around managing their well-being, making sure, you know, are you OK? What are your sleep patterns? Um, what are your eating habits? How are you finding it training alone? Um, do you have any worries? Do you have any concerns? Uh, and ultimately, those worries and concerns were about uncertainty particularly as players were approaching or in the last year of their contract, you know, what, what are the club going to do? Are they going to get rid of me or are they going to, you know, is, are we going to get back? When are we going to get back? You know, if we get back, what's it going to look like? You know, if I get tested positive, like what happens? Um, at the club we were working at, we had some positive cases quite early on. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, crikey. So does this mean I'm never going to play football again? Because I've read stuff on the internet. It shows if I get COVID, it ruins my lungs and I won't be an athlete. So so all this stuff that was kind of mixing around, you know, it, it was almost just our role was just to try and say, look, like, let's just kind of, con- you know, Binksy loves this book, control the controllables. You know, I, I, <laughs> I heard myself saying that so many times, you know, I thought, geez, if I could get a quid for every time I say it, I'd be a multimillionaire. But, but it was, it was like control the controllables. What can we control? Right, we can control our training, we can control our emotions in and around our family, we can maybe think about our goals. That's probably broadly it at the moment. And as lockdown started to started to ease, you know, those goals and those expectations could become a little bit grander and a little bit a little bit bigger. Um, but going back to your initial question, I think it's been problematic for, for most people. I think some have seen it as an opportunity to, as I say, you know, think about what the next steps might be as well, you know, career transition. We had several of those conversations and, and players had never even thought about career transition. Um, I just finished reading Robin Smith's book, uh, book uh, Judge, yeah, Judgey. Great, great book. And uh, unbelievable. Like, I yeah, came across it. Um, he was a hero of mine growing up. I had the yellow bat handle, I had the grey and nickels kit. Um, and it was just almost brought me to tears, actually, the you know the the kind of experience that he went through but I think what what kind of came out of, of, of his book was the lack of support around career transition and how he was ultimately you know discarded and 
didn't really have the coping skills to be able to deal with that. So some of our work at, at recent times has been around career transition and helping people, not to say, look, you're done, <laughs> you know, you're over the hill, but it's to like say, you know, you're 33, 34, you're probably in the last year of your current contract. Have you thought about what are those next steps likely to be about? And and I think that is healthier than kind of ignoring it. But but Robin Smith's book, you know, really, really struck a chord on so many levels, I think, even though it doesn't talk about COVID. But I think there are so many implications from his book around certainly the power of the mind, but also around how people deal with adjustment or don't deal with the adjustment. I think one was one of the key things um, to, to come out of that. And you, you mentioned uh, the stuff before about that you've been working with the Premier League players. Has, has there been any feedback so far on actual performance on the field? Because um, I guess I've been quite pleasantly surprised with the quality of the cricket that we've seen, you know, with those guys coming out of the bubble and stuff. It's actually been, I sort of expected there would be some rust or it would be really weird for them. But it feels like, you know, when you're actually watching those test matches, it's actually felt like test match cricket. Yeah, I, I think I'd echo that. I think the the standard of performance was uh, was far outweighed my own expectations. I think I, I think it was probably some of the best cricket I've I've seen um, in in recent years. I thought the standard was very high. It's an interesting one to explain, isn't it? Because in terms of Premier League football, there's there's definitely I think home advantage statistics have kind of reduced because there's no fans, there's no real um, effect that you get there. But I think in terms of cricket. You know, um, I think almost what you see there is is perhaps an element of freedom for, for players to go out and almost express themselves. You know, it's almost like they are playing in a practice game and it's almost like, you know, t- the shackles are off. So it, I think home advantage is probably less in cricket in terms of a crowd effect. It's more to do, I think, with pitch conditions and, 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 and weather conditions. But I think generally... We've kind of seen, you know, well, let, let, let's be free. Let's kind of play with expression. I think quite a bit of that is to do with the cultures that perhaps, if you think about England um, and their one-day squad, you know, the environment they try to create there is very much around, you know, freedom and expression and, and going with it, play the moment, not worry too much about the bigger picture. Um, but, but I, yeah, equally share that. I think it's been really impressive to kind of see the way in which they've played. So just going back to the, the the three principles you were talking about there, and <clears throat> uncertainty probably playing a, a negative role uh, in, in in players' lives and players' uh, performance, probably I guess. Have you noticed a pattern of what has been positively perceived, like goal setting? You talked about you know working on a particular part of their technique. Is there a pattern there? Yeah, well, um, I think one of the things we, we've tried to see is is just people being. Um, kind of flexible with with their beliefs a little bit so often as humans we can be quite rigid we can demand quite a lot of ourselves and we can demand quite a lot of the world in which we operate in and others that we come into contact with and I think what we try to encourage people to do is to be quite flexible with that so you know the world isn't a fair place for example but but that's often easier said than done but during covid we've kind of seen well you know there are unfair things happening and things aren't always working out how we expect them to be so just to be to be flexible in that and and not to set too many 
um, lines in the sand where you are definite to that because that can create stress. It's almost like tomorrow I'm going to go to work and I really must go to work. But of course, if the government rules change that, you won't be able to go to work. And it's having some element of flexibility around that and not trying to be too definite in what we do. And I think that's what we, we've tried to translate that in how to people then go into performance settings and saying, look, you know, you're probably not going to be able to train the way in which you normally train. You're probably not going to be as fit as you would like to be. But that's no detriment to you. That's because of these factors. Because I think a lot of athletes are taking this quite personally. You know, like, oh, what am I not doing? I'm not fulfilling my expectations. I'm not where I want to be. Well, it's like, actually, there's not really too much you can do about it. If you're trying to maintain Premier League football status in your back garden, you know, you can probably only run so far. You know, it's not like you can run around a pitch. Equally, if you're trying to work on your batting technique and you've got your 11-year-old throwing underarms at you, you're not going to be as highly proficient as, as you would be if you've got a bowling machine. So I think it's just some of those things. We've done quite a bit around, as I say, around sort of philosophy and just getting people to... I've been reading quite a lot of... Uh, you can tell I've not been out much, but um, <laughs> I've been reading quite a lot of sto stoic philosophy around, you know, sort of the Greeks and the Romans and, and this idea of, like, sort of know thyself and... And just really connect with with those beliefs uh, that we have and recognize that, you know, fundamentally, what what are we about? You know, what are our intentions? What are my, our motivations? And often the materialistic stuff, you know, doesn't occur in any of that language. It's it's, you know, some those things are just burdens that we bring into our lives. So it's been quite a nice time just to reflect and say what's important, probably family, connecting with my friends, looking after ourselves you know, trying to get good quality sleep, you know, almost going back to basics a little bit for, for our existence. And I, I personally have found that quite liberating because they are the things that you, you do neglect pretty badly and you do get wrapped up in the day-to-day -day rat race and, you know, the materialistic side of things. And, we, yeah, we've had quite a lot of conversations around sort of stoicism and, um, uh, and ha what that might mean for people. We've not used that language because that's a complete turn-off, you know, but... Um, but, but trying to package it in a way that helps people to perhaps understand themselves. And not a, a lot of conversations around know thyself. Do you know yourself? Do you know your pinch points? Do you know your pressure points? Um, do you know when you're having a good day versus a bad day? What does it feel like? You know, that sort of looking after their well-being, getting people to monitor their sleep quality as well. Uh, it's been some other things. And that, so that's what's uh, hopefully on, that answers your question. And that's what's on your other wall, Jamie. You got Giggs and Cantona on the right hand side. You got Aristotle and Socrates uh, quotes on the on the left. <laughs> Who did they play for? Well, Socrates <laughs> played for Brazil, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Baldy over to you, I think. Well, I just wanted to ask. I mean, a lot of people out there, just everyday people, have had major upheaval in their work-life balance, lots of people experiencing working from home for the first time over the last six months or so. What have we learned and what can we parallel between, I guess, not real life, but everyday life for the average person and the world of elite sport? Has that kind of differentiator or different lifestyle evened out a little bit now that, I guess, we're all working from home and these elite athletes are also physically confined to a certain extent? Yeah, yeah. So that's a really great, great question. I think, um, you know, the working from home thing is, is certainly, I, I guess, got people, to, you know, individuals and businesses to potentially reevaluate how they do things. Um, and, and I'm starting to see that sports are doing the same. 
you know, reevaluate how their, their practices. So, for give you an example, um, we would have a training camp over uh, um, the England uh, Paralympic, uh, the cerebral palsy football team that I've worked with for a number of years. Normally, we would have a training camp um, that would run Friday to uh, Friday evening to Sunday, and as a side, you know, be we'd be in attendance with that. But because of COVID restrictions. You know, we can't hold longer than 10 minutes um, and we can't be face to face or we can't be in close proximity. So we thought, we're almost looking at, well, actually, is the value of, you know, what, what, is the, what is the role of the psych in those camps? Could it be done differently? Could it be that we have a Zoom call or whatever beforehand or during a camp or whatever? So, so I think it's starting to get people to reevaluate how they, how they do stuff, how they practice. I also think as well, from an athlete point of view, it certainly may be encouraging quite a bit more autonomy and responsibility. Um, perhaps can't train at big groups. They can't maybe have the personal support in the traditional sense. So therefore, it's encouraging people to maybe take a bit more ownership of how they prepare, how they look after themselves, how they recover. And, and generally, I think that's a really good thing because, you know, in the we then start to work out what works for us, what doesn't work for us. And you know, maybe taking a bit more control over how we prepare and how we recover and ultimately how we train. So I think that there's some of the similarities that, that we're starting to see, you know, in, the, in, in recent weeks, really. This different way of working um, is, is certainly high on the agenda. Can we do things a little bit differently? Um, do we need to be having air arsing around the country, having meetings? Probably not anymore, which is a good thing. Um, but also, can we reevaluate what what is a, a training camp or competitive psych and, and other sports sciences is still important? But maybe there's just a different way of doing that. that. Um, and, and you know, in comparison to how we would normally work when we started uh, working with with a club in March, never met any of the players face to face did everything via Zoom or everything online. Um, we had leadership group meetings that were done on Zoom. Um, so we got like 12 players, three psychs in my study, which was bizarre, you know, and it completely goes against the rule book of doing sports psychology or psychology where it's all about relationships, rapport, empathy, you know, that first, that, that phase of fact. But we did none of that because we, we couldn't and actually when we reflected on it we went was it okay yeah it seemed to work all right we got good engagement we got good rapport with players we got some really decent outputs so it's kind of changed how we would do stuff as psychologists that you don't always need that face-to-face -face, which has always been the traditional model it seems that it's not ideal doing it over zoom and so forth but it's okay and it's feeling comfortable with that okay i think is has been one of the challenges for, for lots of professions. So it's a really great question. And as always, I, I've probably given you a political answer rather than a definitive answer. What about the physical restrictions? So physically being locked down or being in a hotel room or being in a hotel overlooking a cricket ground. What can we learn from people like um, that live in places like Antarctica or live in northern Europe, maybe northern um, Scandinavia or Canada that are physical? Oil rigs, for example. Yeah, yeah, oil rigs, exactly. But people that have to cope with physical restriction or being in the same physical location for a long period of time, what can we learn from them in terms of techniques for coping with you know, having to stay in a hotel for seven days and not being able to leave the room or being locked down in the house with your family for a long period of time? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, the the long term implications of that are, are probably not great because, we, you know, we are social animals. We are based around interaction, around connections. So I think from a mental health perspective, you know, that that isn't a great, you know, it doesn't look particularly great, I guess. It is the thing because of all the reasons that, that we that we talk about. I think that's really where it's important that people maintain their social connections when they are in a hotel room or, or when they are in, in those restricted environments, because that's that social implication, that social connection with other people is, is really, really powerful. Um, we also know as well, I guess, being in a restricted area, you know, you think of a family environment, it can be quite it can be really stressful. Um, you know kids running around you've got you know the tv going on and off you've got you know all these things going on that can be really stressful and it's almost like well what is your what is your mechanism to deal with that so is there some way in which you know, a bit of space get some tranquility get them down you know and i think i certainly saw this during lockdown you know people living in high-rise apartment blocks who couldn't go out i, I just you know i thought how the heck do you mm. manage you know mm. some of those challenges if you if you you know you've got three rooms and you've got four children you know four people in that apartment like how on earth you know and so i think that they're the challenges you know that, that are very real i think it you know there's probably no quick solution to that other than sort of things we've spoken about it feels a little bit futile but monitoring your well-being maintaining social connections trying to exploit any opportunity to get outside we, we certainly know that when we engage with green space and or outdoor space that there is a uh, an impact on our stress it reduces it mm. so we know when we go for a walk in the country park physio psychophysiologically it reduces our stress levels so trying to engage with some of those things from a personal level i don't know what you guys thought but as a family we, we went for a walk every day something that we wouldn't normally do you know we explored new trails we'd never seen before uh, and you know what might become a quite a stressful morning we'd go for the walk we'd come back and all of a sudden it wouldn't feel such a bad place um you know because you'd have you know release i think of, of some of the tension yeah your, your strava must have taken a bit of a hammering mate you, you'd have done some long rides as well I did do some long run within the restrictions, I should say, to start with. But yeah, certainly that has been my, that, that has kind of been my escapism, I guess. I, I did exploit, you know, the hour thing every day. Um, and I would just go and uh, I tried to do it during midday as well. I'd go, go for a ride, come back and, you know, the world wouldn't seem such a bad place. Um, you know, the rest of the family, you know, that they would go for a walk or, the girls, because the right the roads were so so quiet, you know, they would ride on the road as well. You know, so that that was cool. Um, and you know, you know, interestingly, during lockdown, we were doing lots of stuff, so girls couldn't ride their bikes on the road, you know, no problem at all. Since lockdown has eased, the bike riding has ceased because yeah. it's not as safe. So it's kind of it's yeah, quite same. interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I I don't want to try and unpick the international cricket council's revenue model on this. Uh, this episode jamie but the concept of these bubbles wh where are the governing bodies going to have to get involved to factor in the mental health of players in terms of how we schedule cricket we've already seen obviously england probably had a slightly different 
one day and, and T20 side to the one that they would have picked if they didn't have the you know the bubbles that have been players that would have played a couple of different formats. We've got players obviously jetting off around the world. Do you think that the ICC are going to have to step in and, and talk about maximum amount of time in bubbles for, for players or impose any restrictions on the game in that respect? I think one of the things that you know needs to probably be on the table is is player player well being and staff well being. You know, having worked in those type of environments that aren't bubbles, but you know, tournament bubbles, if you want to call them that, they're, they're highly stressful. They're they're you know they they can be highly toxic if things aren't going the way in which you want them to be, and that's just in normal circumstances. So, you know, heaven knows what what they're kind of like now where you know i've been in situations where you know you've had a crap result but you know you could go into the town or the city that you're close by and have a couple of beers with the, with the head coach or whatever and you know get let that go we probably can't do that at the moment and so what is your mechanism for coping with with that and yeah certainly from an england perspective you know that they have psych input and they'll have procedures in there around how, how they'd be dealing well, you'd like to think they'd be dealing with these these issues. But I think maybe some of the you know, particularly when, you know, players have broken the the bubble, you know, and they got pretty hammered for that. And but I think sometimes, you know, it's easy to to take that view that, oh well they should have adhered by the rules and so forth. But we, we just don't know what that environment's like, you know, for some of them they just might not be able to cope with that. You know, and they they might not be ready or prepared or supported in the right way. So actually, you know, they just get to the end of their tether and they break the bubble, whatever it is. So I think it's easy to judge, but the reality is that those, those are, you know, ultimately they're high pressure. They're expected to perform. Um, you're taking away from the things that we're talking about your social connections. It will be you can do it over Zoom, but you know, you might let the family. Uh, you know, there might be issues going on at home with the family. Or, or pump, you know, and, and I think sometimes people are easy to, to judge and recognise, not recognise that you know that ultimately they are people before they before they're athletes. Uh, I'd like to think that there will be something on the table around player well-being. Uh, yeah, I think more generally in cricket as well. If you look at schedules, you know, it's brutal. I mean, psychological burnout and physical burnout is is, is surely you know, are going to be on the rise. I mean, I, guys going straight from the one-day series in England now playing IPL, um, you know, it's, it's a big burden. Okay, yeah, they get paid well. It's a great lifestyle. But if you hear Joe Root's comments, if you hear other players, I remember Stuart Broad saying, you know, away from home 300 days a year or something like that. Yeah, you know, but that's a sacrifice. That's a consequence. And what is the cost of that? Uh, and for some players, if they don't have the right coping strategy and/or support, there will be a huge cost to them, and which could be psychological or physical burnout, and they can be difficult to recover from. Does that answer your question, Binks? No, look, uh, absolutely. And I and I guess you touched upon it there. What what advice would you provide to a player entering that kind of environment, that that bubble, to help them cope with that? Yeah. So. I, I, I think the first thing they can probably expect is quite a lot of downtime, quite a lot of time where, you know, they're, they're restricted on what they can do. So trying to prepare to fill that. So it might be, you know, downloading a load of box sets. It might be 
taking a load of books, you know, something that's going to fill that space, I think, ultimately. I think the other thing, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot is, you know, having your, your phone a friend network, you know, your social support networks, having that very clearly defined. Who are the people that you're going to communicate with when and kind of like what's going to be the outcome? You probably have to daily check in with the family, but then, you know, if your performance isn't going particularly well, who's your go-to list equally if your performance is going well who's your go-to list so things around making sure that they have that pretty well defined and i think it's it's just around some of the the other you know dealing with uncertainty the, just this idea that just kind of be quite be prepared to be flexible be prepared not to set too many stringent targets on what it's going to be like and you know how it's going to feel and have an expectation that it's probably going to change and it might change very very quick and just feeling comfortable with with that change I think and I think when people are a bit more prepared for that change they're able to adjust for it I think if you go into those environments expecting this is how it's going to be for three weeks it's not going to deviate and then something deep changes that can be a big shock to the system I think if you go in there expecting it to start like this but it might not end like that I think that's probably a better place for, for, for people to be in. Did, did you discuss anything around uh, with those Premier League teams about um, kind of filling that space with more training or, you know, sort of performance-based things? Yeah, ra- range of things, really. So uh, it would range from getting people to complete diaries, so to become a little bit more mindful of, of themselves, to write down, you know, who are you, what are you about, what are you thinking, what are you feeling... For some players, you know, they'll go, that's just not for me. Um, so for the, for some guys, they would do voice notes. Just try to try to get a, a bigger sense of just who, I, you know, what am I thinking? What am I feeling um, to, to document that? For other guys, it was um, picking up a hobby, something they've not always had the time to do, but wanted to do. Um, so some guys had, had started to uh, learn new skills off the internet. It started to, you know, watch YouTube youtube films to 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 enhance their 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 skills to to do different tricks things like that you know a whole range of stuff Um, and then for other people they'd start to do like online courses um around coaching um we had one guy who was really interested in the idea of um, he'd done some stuff around mindfulness he'd done some stuff i don't know if you've come across the headspace app he'd, he'd used that with the previous club uh, and uh, we just sort of put him in the direction of a few podcasts to do with mindfulness. And, and he really engaged with that. So it was really wide ranging in terms of what, what people were doing. People were reading, people were listening to music. One player had always wanted to organise his iTunes um, and create a load of playlists. So this was a great opportunity for him to do that. But it was done with the sense of, well, let's create some music for your training. Let's create some playlists that are um, you can use when you're either preparing for competition, recovering, and or um, preparing for training. So, yeah, lots of different, lots of different. You know, people far more creative than me actually around this. I just kind of left it to them and said, you know, what have you always wanted to do? And one guy wanted to play the learn to play the guitar, so he bought a guitar and started to do that. So, yeah. So there's I've seen a couple of pieces written where uh, they talk about cricketers being more suited for. The bubble life because they are used to touring and, and, and things like that. Do, do you buy into that? Or I know everybody's different, but do you buy into cricketers having more of that, you know, skill or resilience about them being in a bubble? 
Yeah, I'm really sort of like that's a, that's a great shout. Yeah, I think probably um, naturally, you know, through their evolution as cricketers, as you say, they are used to spending lots of time away, lots of time um, working with each other, not always in a good way, um, <laughs> but spending lots of time with each other and, and you know developing these things that we talk about, these networks and, and so forth. They would they would probably often naturally uh, evolve. So I think, yeah, that's a really great point. Actually, it's probably less of a, could be less of a shock to, to cricketers, particularly the ones who, you know, maybe play international international cricket or, or play in the, you know, IPL, Big Bash, et cetera, where they're used to spending time away from, from their, disconnected from their usual routine or away from their family. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very real, real uh, commonality and, and, and question, yeah. Well, mate, thank you very much for your time again. We'll wrap up on a frivolous one. If you were, you know, off to the bubble tomorrow, what we've seen coffee machines, we've seen golf simulators, we've seen F1 simulators. What what luxury items would uh, would Dr. Jamie Barker take into his bubble? Oh, I think I'd be I'd be fairly predictable. I think I'd take uh, I'd take my turbo trainer. Yeah, and my my Zwift account. Uh, I'm not quite sure what I'd do without without that. And I'd uh, I'd take my Manchester United DVD box collection oh. of the 1990s. <laughs> so uh, that that would be uh, yeah, that would be it. Well, that that'd certainly be the cure for uh, any insomnia you got in that bubble, Jamie. So <laughs> exactly, yeah, parking parking the bus throughout the 90s with uh, with Man United. Uh, I'm, I'm only joking. <laughs> Mate, well, look, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you again and look, some great insight. And I think something that's going to play out over the course of the next, you know, next year or so, because I think we're certainly going to be massively affected by all of this uh, from a sporting perspective, at least. New Zealand, I think, have just announced that they're getting international teams in for our uh, summer. So they'll have to go through some quarantine and then presumably actually a little bit more freedom, hopefully, for the players once they've gone through that quarantine can, yeah, period. Yeah, train after a little while. Yeah, because, um, yeah, if touch wood, we're hopefully um, through our Auckland-based um, restrictions over the course of the next couple of weeks or so, but, yeah, who knows. But, mate, it'd be great, obviously, to get you a regular slot back on the pod now. We've got the technology as well. You can uh, you can show us your philosopher's wall next time, so get the light, the light coming in from the east, maybe. But, mate, th- thanks very much for, for taking the time out to talk to us again on the Top Order podcast. Yeah, no problem, and, uh, yeah, great as always and uh, more than happy to to contribute and and help you guys out but yeah delighted to be on the show and uh, take care thanks for tuning in to the top order podcast before you disappear from our feed if you're a new listener please do go and check out the back catalog we've spoken recently to new zealand coach gary stead we've got graham thorpe we've got shane deets We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com. We're the Top Order Podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter. So don't be shy to jump on, give our tweets a share or a retweet, and we'll see you next week.